Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. We've been committed to downtown Tacoma since 1883. And today, that looks like a vibrant worshiping community located in a bustling, historic church that functions like a community center for about 20 different arts organizations, Christian ministries, and social service organizations that use our building throughout the week. This podcast is an audio recording of our weekly sermons. You may notice that I occasionally pause for laughter that seems out of context. That's likely because our PowerPoint is showing, I don't know, the head of Jesus photoshopped onto the body of Steven Seagal or some equally cheesy joke that has to be experienced in person, which honestly is just a bad segue to say, hey, come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Lastly, we had some delay putting sermons online uh, throughout the fall, so this spring we'll be mixing in some sermons that never made it online in addition to our weekly podcast. Thanks, and enjoy. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke 1 through 13, and it's the temptation of Jesus Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, And he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for your presence that saturates the world, that comes all around us even when we cannot see. 
And we pray that we will feel the presence of that spirit this morning and that we may hear your word for each of us. Amen. So, like I uh, mentioned earlier, today is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. And I recognize that for some of us, Lent might be a little bit new. So I, I thought I'd start by just sharing a little bit about what Lent is. Lent is a six-week season that prepares us for Easter. But, but rather than like ja- uh, ramping up the joy for that glorious Easter morning, Lent sort of goes the other direction. Preparing us for the death of Jesus. Lent is a season of reflection and repentance and turning and fasting. Uh, Long ago, I had a friend who grew up in a church that he referred to as a happy clappy church. Maybe you've been to a happy clappy church. Uh, And later in life, he joined the Episcopal Church. After his first season of Lent, he said it was the first time he realized it was okay to be sad at church. And, and that's sort of the tone in the season of Lent. But we probably have some picture in our head of the devil. And this is the one time the de- devil gets dialogue. So I thought I'd just take a minute and talk about what the Bible means when it says the devil or Satan. Now, devil and Satan are... Greek words that refer to the Jewish idea of Satan. This is sort of like evil that pops up throughout the scriptures. In the Hebrew Bible, Satan is either a fallen angel or maybe not a fallen angel that that does uh, evil. And in Revelation, Satan takes the form of a red dragon. A few other times, Satan is more like a spirit without a body. But what I think is important to know is that word Satan means the accuser. And, and I believe that that's, that's the part that we should notice. The accuser, the adversary, the one that's against us. And, and most of Christian tradition has believed that the accuser takes like the bodily form of a devil named Satan. Most of my favorite biblical scholars, they probably describe Satan more, or the accuser, more like the voice in our head that accuses us that we are not enough. The voice that reminds us just how far we are from our ideal self. The voice that says, you are nothing like the person described in your OK Cupid profile. And once people find out the real you, no one will like you. Personally, I, I probably tend to think that Satan lives more in my head than uh, the underworld. Because that, that version of the accuser is way more tempting. I'll, I'll illustrate this with just a, a quick little story. On, on Tuesday night, I swung by the Walgreens on 6th and Sprague. But if you've ever been to this, that Walgreens, this story will make a lot more sense. I, I got some things, and then I was getting back in my car 
when someone walked towards me with angry purpose, and, and I had never seen this person before in my life, but he decided to let loose a, a string of profanities just to, to let me know just how stupid I looked before passing on his way. Now, like, I pretty much just brushed this off because, I don't, you know, this, this person was dealing with his own stuff. It wasn't about me. I was just a random target for his anger. Probably also, he didn't really appear to be an authority on fashion, so I didn't, I, I mean, I don't want to knock the guy, but you know, uh, so I didn't really care what he thought, but there was this, like, this little voice in my head that thought, do I look like a fool? And, and that was the voice of the accuser. And, and to me, that almost like, that, that devil inside my head is way more tempting to listen to than some outside exterior being that personifies all evil and wants to do me harm. Because, like, that devil, that's just not that tempting. But the voice inside my head that accuses me of being, like, the same awkward, unreliable, undisciplined class clown who barely passed middle school... That's the voice. That's the voice that drives me to be ambitious and controlling and all kinds of sin that, that result in, in, from my desire to, to prove that voice wrong. So, like, that personally, that's the devil that I need to resist. And, and like, I'll just say this. I think that it's, it's totally fine to interpret the devil either way either as an actual evil being or as, as the voice of the accuser that fits in our head or that lives in our head. Um, and, and part of that, you know what, I'll just I'll quote one of my favorite modern-day theologians, uh, J.K. Rowling, and, and say, uh, I think this is a Dumbledore line, just because it's happening in your head doesn't mean it isn't real. And, and I think that, that that fits both exegetically, and it fits sort of throughout the Bible, um, and it fits in our story. Because the way the devil acts is like the personification of insecurity, like insecurity in a being. Because the devil does this thing. He inserts the word if into the mind of Jesus. He says if you're the son of God, then you, you can turn stones into bread. If you worship me, then I'll give you glory and authority of the whole world. If you put God to the test, everyone will follow you. And, and what I think is so interesting about this is, is the devil picks three things that Jesus will pretty much end up doing. Jesus will perform a miracle of creating bread out of nothing. Jesus will, as the story goes along, and history goes along, have the glory and the authority of the world. And Jesus will sort of put God to the test. 
And, and Jesus isn't going to like throw himself off a cliff and make angels save him. But he's going to allow himself to be arrested and hung on a cross, trusting that God has a plan for life. And, and those actions, they're, they're not exactly the same, but they're really similar. But there's a big difference. The word if. If you do this, then you'll be loved. Satan takes the power of God and makes it conditional and transactional. That it's, it's that, that if. It's like, I think the best way to describe the, the power of if is, is uh, by, by looking at our confession. I think the accuser inserts if into our prayers of confession, and, and it turns forgiveness into a transaction that goes sort of like this. So we sinned, and now God is angry with us. And it is only if we confess, and if we are truly penitent, and if we totally change that we will be forgiven and regain God's love. And, and the implication is that, that God doesn't really love me who I am right now. God loves the ideal version of myself, the, the version of me that doesn't screw up, the version of me that I can never achieve. But, but that's not true. Uh, Nadia Bowles-Weber, during our confessions at Urban Grace, our prayer of confession begins with the assurance that through Christ you've already been forgiven. Because when we start with that forgiveness, we can be honest about our real self without any fear. Because we're loved, we transform. It's not, it's not if then, it's because therefore. And, and this is a little bit of an aside, but I want to go there because I think it's important. That, that this bears true in our personal life too. The more, like, solid we can be in, in the assurance that we're loved, the more we can grow and transform. Like, if, if I believe that I'm only loved when I live up to my non-existent, okay, Cupid profile, like, then that means I got to hide my flaws. I have to run from the shame of what I'm not. And, and that means it'll be a struggle to grow and, and to thrive. And the reality is that, that I will never be that ideal version of me. That's, that's pretty much just a projection of my desires. And if I live life just believing that that's the person I have to be to be loved, well, that's, it's going to work the opposite. I'll be driven to shame and to hide who I really am. But, but when I sec I'm secure in the fact that I'm loved and accepted then I can be honest about where I need to grow and where I want to grow. And, and again, I'm just going to throw this in there again, because since that, that ideal version of you, it doesn't actually exist, that means that all the, the you that all your friends and family love, it's, it's not that ideal version of you. It's you as you are right now. 
That's who the world loves, is, is the real you, the actual you. But again, this can be really hard to internalize because the, the voice of the accuser is loud. And, and to resist it, we need to know just like in the core of our identity that we're loved. We need to know that we are enough to survive even when it doesn't feel that way. Those, yeah, those days where uh, the angry dude in the Walgreens parking lot who's really passionate about your, your fit of your pants, when it's, when it's not that guy. You, you need to be secure when it's an innocent child asking why you smell bad and wear ugly clothes. Yeah, yeah. there's a few, couple of honest, painful laughs there. We've, we've all been there. And this is where I want to go back to the, the season of Lent. Lent's, again, those, those six weeks, or it's 40 days plus Sundays before Easter. And it's, it's modeled after the 40 days of Jesus in the desert. And it prepares us for Holy Week. So traditionally, Christians have taken on disciplines like fasting and prayer, to prepare for the dark days as well as the new life of Easter morning. But again, this isn't just like one more transaction where we have to do a thing to get a thing. Lent helps us form our identity as God's beloved and that so that we can grow and transform. We, we build a foundation that helps us flourish in the good times and the hard times which naturally means giving up chocolate and trashy TV. But it may actually mean giving up chocolate and trashy TV. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness. And, and it either says the desert or the wilderness. It's the same word. And often when we think of desert, we think of arid places, sandy seas like that. But the word actually just means unpopulated place. It has less to do with geography and more to do with solitude. Jesus takes time by himself to get away from the noise of the world. And, and the noise of the world can look different in each of our lives. It, it often, the, the noise of the world often isn't that bad in itself, but it can distract us from what's really important. Like uh, a friend of mine one year for Lent, stopped listening to music and podcasts while they were cooking and running and driving. And what they noticed is that they kept almost falling asleep when they drove. Yeah, which let them know they were really tired. They were taking on way too much. And the noise of a perfectly good podcast distracted them from seeing that that they'd created a life that wasn't sustainable and healthy. And, and all kinds of things, like alcohol, TV, internet, whatever, can create noise that distracts us from what's really important and from some of the subtle things that God is doing in the world and in our lives. And, and then other times, Lenten disciplines add something, like prayer or exercise or or family time, something that, that draws us nearer to God. 
And, and personally, I do sort of a, a combination of this. Uh, I, I don't get on my computer, I don't get online before work, but I get up a little earlier and I exercise and I meditate and pray every morning. I mean, because I kind of need both. I need to cut out the distraction of what dumb things happened while I was asleep. And I need to add things that, that enrich me personally and spiritually. And, and these are just mine. Everyone's Lenten disciplines are different. They're, they're shaped on sort of our own lives and what we're going through. Um, and, and how we need to be shaped to transform for Easter morning. And these, again, these, sometimes these practices, it's sort of like, sometimes we say we're, we're like training in the desert or we're, we're sort of voluntarily taking on a, a season, a, a wilderness spirituality. And a lot of that's in preparation for those, like, those wildernesses we don't enter into willingly. Uh, like, like, one year I planned to do all the same Lenten things that I do, like pick four or five of these, these things, and then I started Lent and realized that I did not need to train for the season of wilderness because I was living it. It was just a really tough stretch of life, and, and what I had capacity to do was just to survive. And, and maybe that's where you're at, and, and that's fine too. Because, again, Lent isn't a season where we earn cred by giving up the most or doing the hardest thing. It's a season where we sink into our identity as truly loved. It's, it's never about if, then. If I do this, if I confess, then God will love me. That, again, that's the voice of the accuser. God's voice says, you are already loved. No matter what, you are loved. And trusting in that voice is what leads us into genuine growth and change, or turn from. So, uh, and, and if words don't fit, if you don't want to write, you could draw a picture, a symbol, and then after after we've done this, in a few minutes, we'll, we'll put these into our offering baskets. And also know that these, these won't be read by anyone. We're going to actually create art out of them at the end of the season of Lent. So these, these slips of paper are between you and God. And so we don't have any idea what you write. Um, so and that also means if you do have like a prayer request you do want to write, we do have little slips for that. But but this is an opportunity for you to write what you want to turn towards or toward from. And, and now Walker and I think Amanda too are going to come and play us a little bit of music. And as we reflect on the voice of the accuser and, and what we want to turn from and what we want to turn towards. So as we enter into this time of reflection, will you please pray with me? Oh, Lord, our gentle guide and our true north. We pray that your love will wash over us as we seek to always turn to you. Amen.